General Graves B. Erskine, but we had a different concept. General Graves B. Erskine was a prominent combat leader during World War II. He was deputy commander of the 5th Amphibious Corps during the Marianas Campaign and later commanded the 3rd Marine Division during the Battle for Iwo Jima. Before World War II, however, from 1937 to 1940, Erskine served as the section chief with the Marine Corps Schools Command. During this time, Marines experimented with equipment to conduct amphibious operations in combat. Their work in developing equipment and the tactics and doctrine to best employ this equipment paid tremendous dividends when the Marine Corps went to war in the Pacific. In this passage from an oral history interview done by historian Ben Frank in 1969, General Erskine recalls how some key amphibious equipment was developed on the eve of World War II. Seems to me that at this period of time, a, uh, all of the early uh, initial studies in amphibious warfare technique and doctrine was uh, being collated. There had been enough landing exercises, flexes perhaps by now, with experiments on the West Coast, the West Coast uh, Expeditionary Force, the FMF out there, and uh, perhaps on the East Coast, uh, down in Vegas, to indicate what some of the problems were. Yes, uh, that was one of the important things that we were doing in the schools at that time. And I don't know that any one person could take credit for developing the various techniques that we finally came out with, but because many people were involved in it. One of our great problems at that particular period was having a suitable landing boat. We had a boat board, and the boat board uh, would come up with various types of boats that they had seen, but uh, we had nothing resembling the ramp bow. And matter of fact, that was thought to be more or less impossible by members of the board, I think. But Mr. Higgins down in New Orleans came up with the ramp bow boat. And uh, he brought it up to New River. This was after I left the schools and ran some tests with it. At that time, we had to land our artillery by towing a boat uh, that had no engine in it. It had a small, uh, a couple of uh, what you might call gangplanks to get the artillery off with. But we were absolutely up against it to carry a tank of any size and get it ashore. So Higgins, in his peculiar way, finally built a tank lighter, which was also the ramp type, brought it up and tested it. <coughs> I remember one of the tests, which I didn't attend, was conducted down in the uh, in the Norfolk area. They loaded uh, an artillery piece on one of the Navy-type design boats, the one that was towed, and Higgins put the tank in his ramp bow boat, and it was a pretty rough day. And they started across the bay there. And we were minus one tank when we got to the other side, plus one boat. But the Higgins, uh, Higgins 
tank glider negotiated the crossing in excellent manner. From that time on, that was proof that uh, that sort of got us by this big boat board in Washington that uh, maybe they didn't know everything in the Navy Department about boating and sea. Well, this was one of the problems, was it not, in uh, the development of amphibious uh, techniques and uh, warfare techniques and doctrine. The fact that uh, uh, the Navy had a correlated responsibility for developing the landing craft uh, right. and the transports to, uh, to carry uh, an uh, amphibious assault force. And they were they weren't keeping up with it. They didn't have the, the concept of getting their Marines ashore. The same concept that we had. We had to land with uh, uh, unit integrity and uh, be able to fight from the moment we went ashore. Uh, they expected us at that time to carry very light equipment so they could jump out of these old motorcycle type boats and run ashore. But we had a different concept. In order to fight with a certain amount of equipment, certain types of equipment that we needed if we were going to be successful. This day of the banana warfare was over. And the concept of, I think, most Marines, we had to have modern equipment and we had to have modern ships. The ships had to have hoisting gear that could hoist the boats aboard and lower the boats and hoist all of our heavy equipment and put it in the holes. They didn't have it in those days. And it was pretty hard to think about how much money it's going to cost. Well, one of our answers to that was always, how much is your freedom worth? You can't be penny-wise on this kind of stuff. We've got to have it. And a few naval officers finally got the idea of this thing. When they found out that they were going to be involved in this thing, it was a little different story and involved in a big way. And uh, we had uh, any number of types of boats tested, but we ended up with the ramp bow boat as our standard landing boat. Now, we, uh, by this time, say 3839, uh, the planners of Thinkers Down at uh, and of course an FTP-167, uh, had pretty well aligned out what the conduct of a uh, movement ashore was going to be. Uh, intelligence, well, we built this up. There was a uh, rating of greater awareness of the uh, type of intelligence, the estimate of the situation, and of course we had the five-paragraph uh, operation order. But there are certain ancillary problems where they're not such as logistics, which we do. Yes, remained a constant problem throughout the war. Yes, uh, logistics were all was always a problem, but we learned a great deal before we actually got into the war. But we had other problems. Many of the areas that we probably would be assigned to had coral reefs, and the Rampart boat was not the answer to the coral reef. So we were at the same time working on the amphibian tractor. And uh, a great deal of money was spent on the research and so forth. And uh, another thing we needed was waterproofing of vehicles. Route 
Trulak, I think, played a great part in uh, developing that. I remember while we were down at Quantico with the amphibious corps headquarters, Luke took a jeep out and with improvised material, he waterproofed this jeep so that uh, it could at least run out of a landing boat with water up over the over the seats in the jeep. Well, we ran a number of experiments on that, and I'm not sure who actually conducted the, the final test on it, but we came up with pretty good waterproofing for the jeeps to get them out. And uh, I also remember that we at the headquarters, and I think Brute did also have a hell of a time uh, explaining to the quartermaster general of the Marine Corps why this jeep was ruined and who the hell authorized him to put it out there in salt water and put all these little attachments on it. And why did we want to have a jeep that would be amphibious in a way? Well, the answer to that was we want to get the damn thing ashore. General Erskine reveals a key aspect of marine ethos, innovation and out-of-the-box thinking. In the preceding passage, he tells how Marines developed a concept for amphibious warfare, then found the equipment necessary to support the concept. They did not settle for the equipment, boats in this case, that the Navy bureaucracy offered. To get the necessary equipment, Marines circumvented bureaucratic speed bumps. In the case of Victor Krulak's work in developing waterproofing gear, we see a Marine officer become personally involved to obtain what was needed so that jeeps could move through high water to get to the beach. All these actions are remarkable considering that the country was not at war and there was otherwise no sense of urgency. These Marines provided the necessary urgency. Because of their determination and drive, when the country went to war a few years later, Marines had the key equipment that enabled them to successfully execute amphibious assaults. In so doing, they proved that amphibious assaults could be successfully executed against a well-defended beach, something that had been strongly doubted before. How are Marines today being taught to think creatively, to be innovative in developing solutions to problems? When a Marine suggests an innovative solution that goes against the standard are they encouraged or rebuked? For more information on Marine Corps innovative thinking, consider the following readings. First to Fight by Victor H. Krulak, Military Innovation in the Interwar Period by Alan Millette and Williamson Murray, A Soldier's Dilemma from the Marine Corps Gazette, November 1986 by Victor H. Krulak, Utmost Savagery, The Three Days of Tarawa by Colonel Joseph Alexander, and the U.S. Marines and Amphibious Warfare by Jeter Isley and Philip Crowell.